Moses was standing at one of the most beautiful locations in the region. His hands were lifted up. And he was addressing the people, the Israelites, there before him. God had just told Moses, you are not going into the promised land. You are about to die. Your job is finished. Your successor, Joshua, will lead them into the promised land. So here is your farewell address. And Moses is standing there before their people, and they're hearing the final words of one of their greatest leaders. And he lifts his hands, and he gives them one last message. And Deuteronomy chapter 4 opens. Now, it's interesting who the people are. The Israelites, but, but they're second-generation Israelites. They're, they're the next-gen you see, the, it had been 40 years since the, the Red Sea had parted, 40 years. And so they, they were out in the wilderness, and Moses led them through the wilderness. And his desire, God's desire, was that that generation enter the promised land. But because of disobedience, they died in the wilderness. And so their, their relatives are all buried out in the wilderness. Their bones are bleaching out there in the sun. And so it's the next generation standing before Moses. Only two from the previous generation were there. Joshua and Caleb. Because they were, had been obedient. So Moses gives his farewell address to the next generation. What do you say to the next generation? Well, read with me. Verse 1. And now, O Israel, Moses said, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal, Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the, the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who hold fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them to take them the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Some months ago, I was reading through my daily Bible reading, and I was in the book of Deuteronomy, and I was to chapter 4. And that morning, sitting at my table, I read chapter 4 of, of Deuteronomy, Moses' farewell address. And, and then I read it again, and it struck me. And I reread it a third time, and I felt God impressed me to say, that is the next sermon series that I want preached to my people at First Baptist Garland. I want you to go through all 40 verses, verse by verse. So, in obedience to the Lord, I am. We're beginning today. A new sermon series entitled Moses Speaks Today. For eight Sundays, starting today, we'll go through 40 verses. 
And the reason that I felt God impressed me to preach this to you for these next few weeks is because what Moses told that next generation of Israelites standing there is exactly what our nation needs now. What our culture needs, what our churches need, what Christians need. Those 40 verses are powerful. So here we go. A while back, my, my wife, Lisa, and son Camden gave me a, a new Bible as a gift, and it's called the Literary Study Bible. Here's a picture of it. There's the Literary Study Bible on the left. On the right, I want you to notice that is the section before Deuteronomy chapter 4. And look, before the section begins, at the very top, exhortation to a nation. So what he speaks to Israel is an exhortation to us as a nation. Now, I'm not one who believes replacement theology. Replacement theology believes that, that America has replaced Israel as God's people. I don't buy that. It's not scriptural. But what is scriptural is that those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're the new children of Abraham. Jesus said that. So it applies to us. So I want you to listen. Remember, Moses is speaking to next gen. And as these 40 verses get started, the beginning of the farewell address, he told them to notice four things. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Four things. Number one, he said, notice the imperatives. Verse one. The imperatives. And now, O oh Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them. In that clause, there are two imperatives in English. Listen and do. Listen and do. Hear what God says and act upon it. Now, those of you who remember your English class, I'm sorry if it was a bad memory for you. We need to go back there just for a moment. What is an imperative in English? It is an urgent command. It is something somebody tells you to do. Now, let's go a little further. There are tenses. In the present tense, the command is to hear and keep on doing. Continually hear, continually do. So what God is telling His people, continually listen to me and continually put into practice what I say. Now let's go a little further. If you remember, an imperative verb is different than an indicative verb. Okay? Imperative verb is a command. It tells you what to do. The indicative verb just tells you how things are. They just lay out how things are. I find it interesting that Jesus used the imperative, not the indicative. 
or God did in this passage. How, why does that make a difference? Because he's telling us, here are things I want you to do. Not just accept things the way that they are. Now, he could have said, look, folks, this is how the world's always going to be, okay? This is how your culture's always going to be. But he didn't say that. He said, you, you next generation, listen to me and practice what I say. Now, those of you who are home builders, if you're going to tear out a wall of your home, you do not tear out a load-bearing wall, right? The imperative verbs are called the load-bearing verbs of the English language because they tell you something to do. And Moses begins by telling us, here's what you must do. Now, folks, let me be honest. There are not many people in American culture today who are listening to what God says and putting it into practice. There are not many. In fact, there are, there are many people in churches today who do not listen to what God says and put into practice what He says. Every generation, every generation needs to learn to hear from God and practice what they hear. Now, had, had that been me standing before the next generation that day, here's what I would have done. If I was Moses, aren't you glad I'm not Moses? But if I was Moses, I would have stood before the people and I would have said, okay, you need some military strategies because you're going into the land. There are Canaanites in the land. They know how to fight. They have militaries You've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. You don't have a military. You know nothing. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're going to rout you. So let me give you some military strategies. He didn't say a word about strategy. All he said was, you listen and you obey. That's all. And folks, the, the strength of our nation is not in our military might or in our economy or in our politicians. It's in God's people listening and obeying Him. That's where the victory is. Listening. It's in our culture hearing what God says in this book and doing it. And when you do, you thrive in the land. But if you don't, you're defeated. Now, I want you to notice in verse 1 what he told them to listen and do. He said, my statutes and my rules. There is a difference in the statute and a rule. The word for statutes, you'll see it on your screen there, is the word hok in Hebrew, H-O-Q. It literally means a prescribed task, or it also means a bill coming due. Bill comes due, you pay it. God says something, you do it. And then the word rules is, is different. It's the word mishpah. And, and mishpah is all the way through Scripture. It means justice. You hear the word justice in our culture a lot. Absolutely right. We should be a culture where justice rolls down the, like waters. Yes. But it also means an act of deciding a case. So here's what it means. 
God has prescribed ways for us to live, and He has already decided the best way for you to live your life. He's decided, not you. Now, I know it's really popular in our culture today that we think we decide what's best for us. It's my body. I'm going to do with it what I want. This is what I believe. This is what makes me happy. This is what I think I need to do. God didn't tell you to figure out the best way to live your life. I just need to find myself. He never told you to find yourself. He told you, this is the best way I've described for you to live. Now listen to me and obey it and walk that way. Take note of the imperatives. But here's the second thing he told them. Verse 2. He told them about God's Word. God's Word. Verse 2, he said, You shall not add to or take away from the commandments of the Lord. Oh boy. He told us, Do not add to what I've said. Adding to what he said would be, would be adding what you want to do or you want God to say. And do not take away from what I've said. Taking away would be saying, you know, I, I know what this says, but I don't, I don't think that's for me. That's taking away from it. Do not add to and do not take away. Now the word add to that's used there in Hebrew literally means making God say what you want God to say. Sometimes we do that. Well, I want God to say this so badly, I'm going to read it into the passage. Or he said, do not take away. The word that's used there is interesting. You'll see it on the screen. It's the word gara. In Hebrew, and it means to lessen, it means to shave, or it means to clip. Do not read God's Word and clip out or shave off what you don't like. You can't do that. I know some of you probably know about Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers. He was from Virginia. He, uh, he was the third president of the United States. Thomas Jefferson was extremely embarrassed by the New Testament. He thought the teachings of Jesus, the ethical and the moral teachings of Christ were powerful. But he thought everything else was foolish. He said the miracles... The miracles in the New Testament just make God look silly and make Jesus look embarrassing. And his claims of Godhood, that's just embarrassing. So here's what he said to. He said, quote, and I'm quoting, Only mature readers of the New Testament can distinguish from the diamonds of Jesus' ethical teachings, from the dunghill, that's the rest of the New Testament. 
and he said children should not be given in elementary school, should not be given a New Testament because their minds can't distinguish the diamonds from the dung that is the New Testament. Wow. So here's what he did. He took the New Testament and all the things that were teachings of Jesus he kept. And those that he felt like were the miraculous or those things that made God look silly, he took a knife or he took scissors and he cut them out. So you have a Bible that literally has pages cut out and other things that are left. Here's a picture of Thomas Jefferson. You'll see him cutting the Bible over in the left, what he doesn't feel like needs to be there. And on the right is his original, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, extracted textually from the Gospels in Greek, Latin, French, and English. So if you don't like it, just cut it out. So, I have me some scissors. And here's my Bible. And if I go along there and there's something I don't like, ah, I don't like that. Wait, wait, wait. Why did that bother you? Okay. So why do you do that in your mind? It, it bothers you when I did it like this, but it doesn't bother you to take it and go and read it and go with your mind. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think that's for me. I don't think that's for today. Huh, premarital sex. Well, we love each other. It's okay. Well, well, you're not supposed to live together without being married. Well, we can't afford it any other way. Why do you clip it out in your mind what he said? Alcohol. Oh, Jesus, run water and wine. Homosexuality. Oh, those verses are talking about child abuse, not talking about a man and a man, a woman and a woman. Why, why are you cutting it out? So if, if this bothers you, this should bother you. We can't add to and take away the way of blessing. It's the way of reading it and accepting it as it is. Tithing, well, that's Old Testament, not New Testament. We do it all the time. We clip out passages we don't want to do. And we do what Jefferson did. Now, here's something else. In verse 2, Moses said, keep the commandments of the Lord. And the word keep is fascinating. I've, I've told you before in another message a couple of years ago about the word keep. In Hebrew, it's the word shamar. And it means to hedge about or it means to guard. 
And it's the word picture of a dog guarding his food. So imagine, you know those old dogs, they lay by their bowl. And there's food there and you walk by and they go, you've seen them? So Moses said, guard the commandments of the Lord. But it comes near it. Do you do that? Folks, are you so passionate about this book that you guard it and you keep it? And anybody tries to come against it, they come against you. Or are you embarrassed by it? And critics say something, oh, you're, you're not one of those Christians that believes, that believes that way. And you go, oh, well, you know, different interpretations. Uh, you, know, I mean, you distance yourself from it. You're not guarding it. You're distancing yourself. But Moses stood before that next generation. He said, young people, you guard this. Keep it. Third thing he told them. Verse 3, other gods. Other gods. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. He stood before the next gen and said, you remember Baal Peor. Well, what was Baal Peor? It was something that they remembered so well, Moses didn't have to explain what it was. Now, if I told you this morning, if I said something about 9-11, I don't have to explain what happened at 9-11. Everybody in here knows. I just have to say 9-11 and I move on. Everybody knows it. That's how Baal Peor was with the Israelites. And he said, you remember Baal Peor? Well, we don't know what Baal Peor is, so what was it? Go with me back to Numbers 25. God's people... We're going through the wilderness, and they came to a town called Shatim. Shatim is just across from Moab. Moab's the country today of Jordan. And so they came near a little community in Moab called Peor. And so they're, they're there, and the Israelite men looked over at Peor, and they saw some beautiful women. They go, oh, those Moabite women, they're pretty. And so they went over and started having sexual relations with the Moabite women. And the Moabite women said, oh, we like these Jewish men. Yeah, this is great. It's good to have Jewish men over here. And, but we're missing one thing. They said, what? Well, we need to bring into our sex acts our God, Baal. And they go, hmm. Okay, as, what does that look like? And so as a part of their sexual activity, they worshiped the foreign god Baal. And the Israelite men said, okay, try something new. And they did. And Numbers 25 says, God was so angry from heaven that he killed 24,000 
Hebrew men and hung them in the sun. And told the Israelites, from now on, may the words Baal Peor be a byword to you. So every time you hear it, it should make you sick at your stomach at what happened. And there they are standing, the next generation. And Moses said, now remember, you remember Baal Peor. No doubt, no doubt some of those there had relatives who died that day. Uncles, dads, granddads, brothers. And now Moses brought it up again. Stay away from sexual sins and worshiping other gods because one will lead you to the other. Forty-two times in the Bible, 42 times in the Bible, God's blessings are contingent upon obedience. Forty-two times, I'll bless you, but you must obey first. And so Moses, speaking to them, reminded them of Baal Peor, what begins with sexual sin leads you away from the worship of God. And folks, I've seen that today. I have seen that happen. You see, we're we're in a culture that's redefining sexuality right now. All things sexuality, it's being redefined. Marriage is being refined and gender is being redefined. And all things sexual are being redefined. And because of it, many people have stopped worshiping and serving God. I have seen people raised in our church, raised in other churches, love the Lord, follow Him, and then start to begin to wonder about sexuality. And the next thing you know, they're no longer serving anymore. They're gone. They're not in any church. Remember Baal Peor. Because one will lead you to the other. Interesting things to tell the next generation, isn't it? And then the last thing he told them, number four, was this, verses four and five. Hold fast. Hold fast. But you who hold fast to the Lord your God are alive today. The word hold fast is interesting there. It's only used three times in the Old Testament. It literally means to adhere But it's used one time to mean to cleave. It's used a second time in the Old Testament meaning to to join. And it means it's used a third time in the Old Testament meaning to stick. But literally means to adhere. We know what adhesive is. If we put something that is as strong adhesive on this book right here and put it and adheres to it, it's going to stay there no matter what. But if something does not adhere, is not, does not have adhesive, and we put it here, it's going to fall away from it. And so Moses said, adhere to my words. Stick to it. Don't fall away from it. And you'll have life. Now the word that's used for life there is interesting too. It's the word ha, H-A-Y, and it literally means not just physical life, it, it, it's the word for a plant that's, that's blooming. You'll flourish. Adhere to this, you flourish. 
It's a connection. If you want to thrive and not just exist, hold fast to what God has told you. Stick to it. Somebody said one time that our enemy, Satan, tries to make us remember what we should forget and make us forget what we should remember. That's his tactic. Those things you should forget, your sins that God's forgiven, he makes you remember those. But those things you should remember, he makes you forget. So I need to ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing with those imperatives? You listening? You doing? How, how are you doing with God's Word? Are you clipping? Are you adding to? Are you taking away? How are you doing with sexual activity and other gods? And are you holding fast? Now, if you do those things, I understand you're not going to be very popular. Because our culture doesn't want to see you do that. But it's the way of life. And it's the way of blessing. It was early in 1980. Scientists knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. A volcano 52 miles northeast of Portland, Oregon was going to erupt. Seismologists knew it, scientists knew it, and, and all the reports they're getting when it happens, it's going to be catastrophic. They had some precursors, they had some tremors that had been detected on the northern flank of the mountain, and their records were showing destruction is coming soon. So they began to evacuate the people from the base of the mountain. Authorities went in. One by one, those people living around the base of Mount St. Helens, they, they evacuated them. They got everybody away except for one old man. His name is Harry Truman. No, not that Harry Truman. Not Harry S. Truman. Harry R. Truman. And he said, I ain't leaving. I'm staying. You see, Harry Truman lived at the base of Mount St. Helens with his cats in a small little lodge which he owned and operated. The lodge was called Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. And law enforcement officials went up there and told him that there, they have indications that the mountain's going to blow, the volcano is going to blow, and it's going to destroy him. And he said, quote, Harry Truman said, I ain't going. You may be wrong or you may be right, but I don't believe it to the point I'm changing my ways. Now, there's some heavy timber between me and the mountain, and there's Spirit Lake between me and the mountain, so I'm pretty well protected. They'll have to pull me off of this mountain with a mule team. If she blows, I'm going with it. Because this mountain is Truman, and Truman is this mountain. Born and raised here. I ain't leaving. 
So everybody evacuated the base by early May of 1980, except Harry Truman. You see, he was too smart for everybody else, he thought. And he was too stubborn to do anything about it. So he became a folk hero. All the locals loved him. Oh, Harry, you tell him, Harry. And then the local media picked up on Harry. And then the national media picked up on Harry Truman, and his story appeared on the front page of the San Francisco Examiner. And then the front page of the New York Times. And his story was told in National Geographic, in Time, in Life, in Newsweek, in Field and Stream, in Sports Illustrated, in Reader's Digest. And even the Today Show sent a team out to interview Harry Truman. He says, I ain't going. I know this mountain better than those scientists. And the nation was captivated by Harry. Was he right? Who is right? The experts or Harry Truman? It was the evening of May 17th. The authority says we're going to make one last appeal. They went up there and they said, Harry, you got to leave. Our indications are it's getting close. I ain't leaving. Get out of here. And they left. The next morning, 8.32 a.m., May 18th, Mount St. Helens erupted. The entire northern flank collapsed in a massive explosion. It was the most destructive in U.S. history. 200 homes were washed away, 47 bridges destroyed, 185 miles of road. Here's a picture of it on the screen. There's Mount St. Helens to the left. There's after she blew. What happened to Harry? Well, at 8.32, he was alone in the lodge. Never knew what hit him. Died in less than one second. His body instantly vaporized. Never found it. Science History Institute did research and put together an article entitled Harry versus the Volcano. And they said scientifically, here's probably what happened. At 8.32 a.m., hot ash traveling at 350 miles an hour hit Harry. He died in under one second, probably not even enough time to feel pain. He died of what was called heat shock, where your protein cells incinerate. And either one or two things happened to him. He either evaporated instantly or his body remains hardened in the ash. Now his entire body is as hard as his heart. And you know, folks, there are a lot of Harry Trumans still around spiritually. Laughing off the Bible. Laughing off predictions. Too smart for God. And too stubborn to do anything about it. And they say, you may be right, you may be wrong, but I don't believe it enough to change my ways. If this thing blows, I'll go with it. And those Harrys still have quite the following around us.
But one day, the world will be destroyed and Jesus will come back. And those critics will disintegrate into the ash and be as hardened as their hearts. So listen to the words of an old man about to die as he held up his arms and looked at the next generation and said, these words are life. Cling to them. Father, we thank you today for your word, and I just pray that as we begin this series, Lord, help us to hear what you have to say to us. God, help us to listen and obey. I pray for those sitting out here, Lord, live today with us that do not know Jesus as Savior. I know we have some here. Lord, may they, may they not be like a foolish Harry Truman and keep just putting off and putting off, not thinking anything's ever going to happen. God, may today be the day they trust Jesus as Savior and come to you. Lord, I pray for those online watching us for the very same thing. May today be the day they contact us and we can share with them how to be saved. Lord, may we as believers today listen and do what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen.